0: As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio.
1: You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money
3: Joining us right now around the table, Chris Harvey, head of equity strategy at Wells Fargo. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Would you like to start with the old price target or the newer price target? (laughs) Because the old price target was 4,200 on the S&P. Are you more comfortable with that than the 4420 that you upgraded it to?
4: No, we're we're okay with the the 4,400, right? So at the beginning of the year, what we said is our base case is 42. 44 is a soft landing. doesn't look like we're going to have a hard landing this year, so we just bumped it up to 44. The range that we think we're in is that 42 to 46. We think we're gonna spend more time at the top end of the range. Right now, we're just taking -hmm. taking some froth out of the market, repricing risk, and we're waiting to see when the bond buyers start to show up. All in yields are approaching that 590 level that we saw back in October. Um, CPI is down 200 basis points since, since then. It looks like the Fed tightening cycle is over, close to being over. Buyers should start to materialize, we'll see.
2: What I find interesting here is you're the single best qualified person to ask this question to. In your ute, you are out in the romance of 54 degree water, (laughs) clamming in Long Island to pay uh, the bills. I want to know, and this really works, where's your line in the sand with the equity markets right now? Where's the tension point that's the Harvey line Uh, in the sand?
4: You know, Tom, I'm, I'm going to, sh- like all good equity strategies, I'm going to shift and, and politicians, I'm going to shift because yesterday was really, really interesting. It brought me back to 99, 2000, because what happened? Interest rates went higher, old economy stocks went down, new economy stocks went up. That was so reminiscent yeah. of 99, 2000. So when you asked me for a line in the sand, I can't give you a line in the sand because the markets are not yeah, reacting. there was a mm-hmm. march distant
2: from that, where there was a line in the sand for all of us, which is oops.
4: How <laughs> close are we to oops? I, I don't think we're close to oops. Uh, what I think is what we're saying is 4,200. That's the technical level. We think that level holds. We have to wait for. We have to wait for rates to kind of wash out here. There's been a lot of talk about rates, but we think you should start to see buyers showing up, especially those all-in buyers, pretty soon. The other thing we'd like to see is we'd like to see something from one of the Fed members saying something about rates in the back end. Because, uh, I don't know, maybe John said this before, um, if you look at what's happened to the 10-year, right, since the issue and since since Janet Yellen said, hey, we're going to need a lot more paper, real rates have gone straight up and real rates have dried nominal up. This has not a, been about fundamentals. And so we may have to wait until November to find out what the needs are in the short term. We find out in November that, that the needs aren't as bad, then we can find, uh, we can find some ground, we can find some bidders. So in the interim, maybe one of the Fed members comes out and says something. We'll see.
5: Is the 4450 call that you have predicated on the idea of rates going down or just staying where they are and not moving as rapidly?
4: Really just what we need is we need stability. Rates don't need to go down from here. What we're seeing is the underlying fundamentals are still good. We just got through a period where we had a major major conference season. We had pre-announcements. The pre-announcements were pretty benign. And so we think the underlying fundamentals are fine for now. So we just need rates to stop because if we don't know where the top in rates will be, we don't know where the bottom of the equity market is going to be.
3: That's important, Chris. You don't need them to go down. You just need them to stop going up. That's right,
4: that's right.
3: Are you seeing signs that tech leadership is stabilizing based
4: on what you identified in yesterday's session? I, I think so. So again, if we go back to yesterday, what happened, you had a lot of defensives roll over, right? The defensives are rolling over because rates are going up. Utilities. Utilities, there's a lot of leverage in utilities, a lot of leverage in staples. Where are people running to? They're running to Uber Caps. Uber Caps are now seen as that safety trade. If Uber Caps go up, the market goes up.
3: So is that AI or just all of the above? Everything that's in Uber Caps
4: right now? Really everything in Uber Caps, what we do is we look at the Russell top 50, right? And you have AI, but really what you're buying is you're buying at a premium of 10 to 15% to the market, stable balance sheets, less volatility, better earnings with an AI kicker. And that's not bad.
5: When you say yesterday, it was buy the new economy, sell the old economy, I thought that was really interesting, which raises a question, are we going to just get more of the same in terms of the dynamic of the Magnificent Seven or a basket of stocks that are leveraged to artificial intelligence, and the new tech gains, yeah. really outperforming while everything else yeah. not only lags, but loses value?
4: I, I think so. That, that's been our call. So what we've been saying is that we thought you'd have a broadening out of the market um, in the summertime, in the spring. But that was partly because people thought, hey, the economy is not going to be as bad as expected. What you need for small caps and mid caps to do better is a much stronger economy. And that's just not going to come to fruition. So we do think it's going to be narrow. We do think the Uber caps are the ones that that outperform.
2: Alicia you asked the question exactly where I was, but I would narrow it even further to say technology, new economy that's profitable and displays free cash flow versus many of them that do not. Out in the zeitgeist today, a la is a percent of Russell 2000. It's not profitable. That's not Apple.
5: Just real quick here, as you're talking about this, we're seeing 10-year yields climb through uh, intraday highs going back to 2007. At what point with yields, Chris, do yeah. you rethink your assumption?
4: Well, l- let's talk big picture on yields, right? So, If you look at real rates, and let's just say real, we go back two decades, real rates, the high end is about 2%. If you look at inflation expectations or break evens, the high is about 2.5. You've gotten above that, but not for a sustained period of time. I think maybe back in 06, 07. So 2.5 plus 2, as best I know, is 4.5. We're in and around those levels. Now we get to 5. Well, the components start to then all of a sudden what we've been seeing is real rates going higher. Now the back end's a lot more restrictive that's going to weigh on the economy. Ultimately, that's going to sow the seeds of bringing it back down. We can get to these levels, but what's going to happen is it's going to slow down the economy a lot, lot faster, and then things will come back down once the economy slows down.
3: Hey, Chris, this was awesome. It's good to see you. As always, <laughs> Chris Harvey too. of Wells Fargo on this equity market.
2: This is the interview of the day for Global Wall Street on where we are with bills, notes, and bonds. Robert Tip out of Berkeley had a shingle out at First Boston a few, years, a few years ago, definitive at PGM, fixed income, chief investment strategist. Robert, why is this move in bonds different than the other 18 you've witnessed?
6: Well, there are similarities and there are differences. The thing that you don't see very often that we're seeing right now is the change of paradigm. We were in an environment for a decade, post-financial crisis, post-European peripheral crisis, where the central tendency for the 10-year Treasury was two, and for the Bund, it was around zero. And I think the Fed, you know, is is looking at the data coming across across the transom. They're saying, we need to be at five plus, and we're comfortable up and around the zip code. And I think that's because they are looking at the data, and the data is telling them that, you know, four is the center of the range, and they need to have policy a little bit at the restricted end of the range until they get inflation down. And the same is going on in, in Europe, uh, where they're gonna be engineering a higher interest rate environment there. This is the, the end of the financial crisis, the end of the peripheral crisis, and return to more normal level of bond yields.
2: I look at what PGM does, Prudential, your work with Allstate for years, and it's about a shift and the actuarial assumption, what is the new, what is the next institutional pension actuarial assumption look like? Is it 200 beeps higher from where we are now?
6: Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't worry about uh, about them. I don't think they ever fully adjusted to the low interest rate environment. I don't think the equity market's adjusted. But I think the, the financial community will do fine with this level of interest rates and financial institutions. I think investors, though, and policymakers uh, are getting dragged, kicking, and screaming to the new environment, especially the investors. The biggest pitfall, I would say, in investing is adaptive expectations. There's a lot of distractions with the cyclical noise, the government shutdowns, each economic region being in its own business cycle, having differences from the others. It's very hard for people to wrap their arms around that. And the Fed readjusted. They are one of the few institutions that that started to believe a two and a half percent nominal Fed funds rate was going to be the neutral forever, and now they're you know on the precipice of starting to move back up. Um, basically, you know this environment was clear from early 2022 that we could be back in a four, five, six percentage straight environment. I think that's the thing that people need to, to wrap their heads around here.
5: What you just said there, 4%, 5 6% interest rate. Are you saying that the sell-off that we've seen in 10-year treasuries isn't done and that you see enough momentum and, frankly, rationalization behind the move that yields could go beyond 5% to even 6% on the 10-year?
6: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that that's not a base case. Right, But if you imagine that the best news on inflation might be behind us, we have energy prices going up, we have a unique situation where high interest rates are crimping housing supply around the world at a time when housing is in short supply, that's a very unusual configuration. Uh, You could get some bad inflation numbers. You could get a signal that higher rates are coming from central banks. And the curve shape is only ready for rates to come back down. It's not really ready for the higher for longer kind of idea that you could you know as whether that's a one in six or a one in three you could definitely end up between five and six on the tenure i think it's more likely we're going to head up towards five and then as we go through next year thankfully the fundamental data is really moderating the underlying trends in inflation moderating growth moderating and in the u.s less so than in other places but even in the u.s it is uh, this battle on inflation as uh, our economist tom porcelli's bond of saying is is over uh, and we should be seeing the rates coming back down next year. But definitely, I think we've seen a, a move in that range uh, back up towards the central tendency around four. And right now, the Fed's not convinced that the cycle's crested. So, yeah, there's upside risk.
5: Robert, you're talking about the inflation outlook. You're not talking about the fiscal backdrop, which a lot of people say was known, right, that we're going to have a real big uh, supply of of, uh, bond sales and not the Fed picking up the other side. Is that one of the main drivers, or is this just fundamentally the data's been coming in better than expected? And this is an economy that needs a 5 percent 10-year yield, not a 3.5 percent one.
6: Yeah, I think up until, you know, the turn of the century, you know, the the supply bulges weren't that big. But since uh, the financial crisis, COVID, the fiscal situation is huge globally. We're dealing with governments that have much bigger debt stocks, much more rollover. And we've just come into the QT period where that means the central banks are no longer coming in and scooping up big chunks of the auction. So the markets now are forced to think about, think hard, about where things are every day. And on a day like yesterday, there were no treasury auctions of long-term notes and bonds, but I think there was over $100 in bills. So uh, there is a relationship there. It tends to make curves steeper. It tends to make treasuries cheapen uh, relative to what's the true underlying riskless rate in the market. And I think that is one of the minor upward pressures contributing to this this sell-off. We've seen that. Uh, With the downgrade, we saw it with the refunding announcement and the other big driver is the Fed, that's dragging the markets, kicking and screaming to the reality uh, that we're going to be up in the zip code, you know, for rates for some time to come.
3: Not a zip code we've been in for a long, long time. Robert Tipp, thank you, sir, of PGM Fixed Income.
0: Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources – From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio.
7: It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna HealthCare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.
2: The conference board is absolutely definitive on the pulse of business in America. Dana Peterson is the chief economist of the conference board. Dana, what's business doing right now with this yield move?
8: Well, I think businesses are looking at the fact that the cost of capital is rising um, and they're starting to pull back on investments. And certainly when we look at our consumer, well, our CEO confidence measure, many cons- CEOs, even 84% think that there's still going to be a recession coming, and they're starting to think about what they're gonna do with investments. But surely they are still holding on to workers and they're still hoarding.
2: I look, I look at this, and to me, and this goes to the conference board research, and that is the log convexity of this real rate, this new environment we're in. The rate of change, the speed of movement is shocking. Do you see that in the conference board research?
8: Well, I mean, certainly when we ask consumers what they're really concerned about, Deep in the weeds, they are saying that they are concerned about higher interest rates and what that means for purchasing items, especially big ticket items that you need to finance. Um, But the thing is that they're still mainly concerned about inflation and certainly they're becoming more worried about the labor market.
5: The fact that there is more concern about inflation, that there is more concern about hiring enough workers, does that just sort of solidify to you that we are not going to get a recession in the near term, that we can keep going the way we are just simply because they keep seeing the customers, they keep seeing the sales?
8: Well, I think we're seeing some slowing in, 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 in sales. Certainly when retail sales came out in August, they were weaker Um, and I think the consumer is going to be faced with a number of hurdles, certainly just as of this weekend, student loan payments returned, and that's roughly 44 million people impacted. Many of those people are between the ages of 35 and 49. Those are peak spending years, and so um, when you add that on to the fact that excess savings is running out, many consumers who already spent that money are turning to credit card use. All these things bode poorly for the consumer, and certainly with higher interest rates, Um, still yet to uh, impact the consumer spending. We think that we're still headed for a short and shallow recession, probably in the first half of, of
5: next year. The key uh, component that we've been looking for is the labor market. We are going to get the JOLTS data coming out at 10 a.m. today. There is a question about whether some of the wage increases that people will keep uh, seeing will offset the inflation, will actually be real positive wage growth, which we actually started to see in the past number of months. Do you foresee that being the new reality just because of the structural tightness of the labor market?
8: Well you have two things going on. Uh, wage growth is slowing, especially in services. Not so much in those jobs where you have to physically show up to work and you're losing older, experienced workers. Um, but inflation is is coming down, at least underlying inflation. And so there is an offset and, and for the first time we've had several months of real wage gains. But still in all when we ask consumers what are you most worried about, they're still complaining about food and energy prices. And we know that energy prices are rising because OPEC has pulled back on production. And so that tends to, that's a bread and butter type issue. And for many consumers, it doesn't matter what's going on. If it costs more to fill up your tank and it costs more to fill up your grocery cart, then the world is not a great place. This is the
5: reason why some people are worried about a wage price spiral, because you're seeing the activity of labor unions coming out saying we're not keeping pace with those increases at the pump, with those increases at the grocery store, and they're demanding higher wages and they're getting them. How much are you watching this with interest to highlight how much we could see wages continue to go up at a significant pace just simply to offset that pain that you're talking about?
8: Sure. I think the key thing is that the number of people who are in unions now is much lower than in the past. So I don't imagine that the actions that we're seeing in, and increases in wages due to uh, union actions are necessarily going to spiral out of control and filter throughout the rest of the economy. But like I said, we are seeing wage growth slow. Uh, last year, wage growth was really outsized, more than su- than could be sustained by businesses. So we're going to see that slow to a more a sustainable pace.
2: DANA, what are we going to see in the jobs report? I'm asking for a friend.
8: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know what the numbers are, but I would not be surprised if we saw slowing, continued slowing in the number of payroll gains, certainly compared to last year. Just looking at the three parts of the labor market, you're still going to have a lot of hoarding, but we're probably going to continue to see uh, job losses in those sectors that did very well during the pandemic and are not doing so well now. And then also some gains, continued gains in health care and some in leisure and hospitality.
2: And yeah, Neil emails in. He says, "But well, what about the real wage? OK, so you got you got the doom and gloom Dana Peterson wage decline. I get it. But I also got disinflation. Do I have a level or even an increasing inflation adjusted wage?
8: Well, I think well, it depends on your inflation gauge. If you use headline, it's probably about level. Um, or maybe even it declined a bit because, like I said, overall inflation is rising because of gasoline prices. But if you use the core, then you probably will see some easing, or rather, some improvement in weight, real adjusted uh, wages.
2: Dana, thank you so much. Dana Peterson with the conference board here on the American economy.
3: As new weight loss drugs hit the market, Sheila Kayalu of Jefferies crunching the numbers and writing this. United Airlines would save $80 million a year if the average passenger weight falls by £10. This would trim £1,790 from every United flight, implying a saving of 27.6 million gallons a year. TK. There's some big numbers.
2: This is important. And John Farrell bring in our next guest. John, I'm going to do some research for you. My father died, and I had to take on very short notice an economy trip. I didn't have a choice. Get on a plane, prima donna like I, had to go to economy. And I can report to you with surveillance analysis, which is appropriate for someone who owns electrical equipment at Credit Suisse and now with Jeffrey, Sheila, Kayalu, that the economy width of a united seat is 16.8 inches and business class is a lofty 20.7 inches. I had to sit up the entire way to Oregon. On the armrest. Because I literally couldn't. Getting a seat. TK, the that's joke. brutal. It's worse than Fenway Park. That's, that's brutal.
3: brutal. Sheila, I'm pleased to say is with us now. Sheila, good morning. Thanks. Let's start here. How did this study start? What are you assuming? What are the underlying assumptions that go into all of this?
1: So kudos to the Jeffries Equity Research Department for pulling this piece together with 30 analysts across the department and of how uh, you know weight loss drugs could potentially be helpful and impactful to <sighs> industries. And for aerospace and defense and airlines, you know, airlines are constantly trying to save fuel. Fuel is 25% of their costs. It's something out of their control. Fuel is up 30%. The stocks are down 20% in the last three months. And the engine manufacturers like Raytheon Pratt and GE are having trouble getting the fuel efficiency across. So we said, what if something out of their control happens and 175 people on the flight lose 10 pounds because of Ozempic or whatever, you know, diet that they're on? And what does that do? And we took a stat going back to 2000. 2018 that poor United Airlines put out there. They saved an ounce um, on on every uh, passenger seat from taking out, changing the feedstock of the paper that they used on their United Airlines magazine and saving 11 pounds per flight. What? Uh, yeah, and so we extrapolated that into 10 pounds per passengers, 175 people per plane. What happens to the fuel savings? They saved 27 million Versus the $42 billion that they use, so they use a lot of fuel, and it's only 2%, but hey, it's a savings out of their control, and you don't need a new engine for that.
3: So this is a what-if. Are you prepared to say that this is a proxy now for a Zempic, and we should get Long United Airlines? Are you there yet?
1: <laughs> I think across the airline space, variable cost is very difficult for them to manage um, with fuel going up. So in all seriousness, that is impacting uh, shares of the airline so far. Labor costs are up 40% as well. So uh, with their cost, with 50% of their costs up significantly over the last few months. It's definitely weighed on the airlines and we're gonna see that into Q3 earnings that that are coming up in two weeks time. Um, but you know the cost element is weighing, and also the revenues are as well because yeah. of pricing problems.
2: Lisa had the surveillance Gulfstream on our last soiree. I had to go back and a- actually Scott <laughs> Kirby, Air <laughs> Kirby, United Airlines. I was thunderstruck at the percent of business class seats. The more I look back, it's bigger and bigger. One study is they've gone from 30 seats to 46 seats. When is the time where business class simply takes over their profit proposition?
1: So what's going on in the airline industry right now, it's the haves and the have-nots. For the first time in such a long time, the network carriers like United and Delta are having their way. Because that premium passenger is holding up the pricing element and the mainline cabins are actually seeing price deceleration year over year and overcapacity to leisure markets like Florida. So you're really seeing a tale of two markets where Southwest, JetBlue, um, you know, are pre-announcing pretty negative results on their visibility and Delta and United are seeing premium pricing happen. So that's because of the business class. Let's put that
5: together. This idea of the potential for weight loss to uh, improve the margins for some of these companies. And the idea that a lot of the companies are earning the most from the front of the cabin. How much can they really push in terms of extra expenses before they have a real PR problem? In other words, what would happen if you had a company come out, one of the discount uh, carriers, and say, we're gonna weigh everybody before they get on the plane, and if you're over this point, we're gonna charge you more?
1: I mean, I, I think that's part of the problem with the discount carriers is, you know, there's no seat assignments, it's a lot more difficult, there's no variability in the class you sit in, so I, I think we're far away from weighing passengers,
3: but this was just, We you weigh know. backs, don't we? Yeah. Well, you know, they <laughs> weigh backs, you get punished if your back is too heavy don't you
5: well okay but this to me is the issue it's like how much can people handle how much can people put up with paying for water paying for drinks paying for snacks paying for the air you breathe paying for how much you weigh i mean at a certain point you know when does this
3: become a real problem that 10 pounds of weight loss where does that 10 pounds come from are you making assumptions of what could happen to the average weight of the passenger do you think that's something that actually could happen
1: yeah, I, I, I think according to these waste loss drugs, clearly I'm not on them, but you know, people tend to be on them. But um, if they do lose an average of 10 pounds, uh, 175 passengers per narrow body, wide bodies are 300. Um, It would be a significant fuel cost savings. And it was actually in light of, um, because we cover the airlines, uh, the aircraft OEMs like Boeing and the engine guys like GE and RTX, and they're having such mega issues building these aircraft. It was just a fun way of looking at something that's completely out of their control Not having to do with making a fuselage with Spirit, that stock's down 45%, just changed its CEO yesterday. Um, And the engine manufacturers, obviously, Pratt is having a tough time with the contamination in their engine. So there's a different angle of looking at something completely out of their control. JetBlue's
3: struggling as well. So let's get to the nuts and bolts of what's happening right now. Are you starting to see limits to the consumer appetite for flying domestically in America? Are we seeing that happen now?
1: So... It's a matter of, that's our debate in Q3. We're gonna see what results have to, have to bring. We downgraded Southwest Airlines to an underperform in the beginning of August on that structural call, that the U.S. domestic consumer is in a tough spot, student loans are coming back, It's weighing on their savings. So, that mainline cabin passenger is going to see some difficult times. You know, pricing is up about 10% versus 2019 levels. We saw Q2 pricing on the mainline cabin down 1%. Very different than the story we're seeing in the premium business class cabin. Very different than transatlantic up 25% versus 2019 levels. So, it's a matter of where we, you know, what we see in Q3 results.
2: John, I look at two flights. I just ran through the Paris flight, which I think at one point was $7,000, even $9,000 thousand dollars in pandemic and all that shocking statistic two thousand six hundred twelve dollars business class to Paris out a couple months like when you're planning months out economy used to be seven hundred even nine hundred dollars it's now 534 but the ratio is still four point nine to one you pay sure. a premium to fly Faro.
3: you pay a premium just to be clear <laughs> just okay, to be very clear Sheila thank you
2: thanks guys Sheila
3: Kailu of Jeffries <laughs>
7: It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.
2: With the support of Ray Dalio in Greenwich, Connecticut, they've put together an annual soiree come October The Greenwich Economic Forum really can't say enough about that. Behind that in support is their governor, Ned Lamont. He is the governor of Connecticut and of course has a storied history here of doing business and attempting to keep business within Connecticut. Of course all the idea of the transfer of Connecticut to maybe a greater New York business as well. Governor, thank you so much for joining Surveillance this morning. What are you going to do about Florida? What are you going to do about Somebody in an X million dollar palace in Greenwich or someplace else or somebody in a one hundred and twenty two thousand dollar rental paying four thousand bucks a month in Connecticut. And both these people say, I'm moving to Florida. What are you going to do about it?
9: I'm good to see you. First of all, this is not a soiree. This is a hard working group. For the Greenwich Economic Forum, we have a lot of fintech and financial services um, here, expanding here, moving here uh you're right though a lot of these uh, firms also have a foot down in florida so there's a little bit of a competition Greenwich and stanford and um in miami you know when it comes to housing prices we're very competitive when it comes to uh, workforce and you know young well-educated folks ready for the fintech world um connecticut is very competitive there and uh, we've had tens of thousands of new families move into the state of connecticut Uh, you know, in each of the last few years. So uh, I think we're making progress. A lot of people want to be here.
2: What is your most effective tax policy over the next five years to compete with the American South? Did you say
9: tech or tax?
2: Tax, T-A-X, tax policy. Connecticut, I don't know if you're aware, they have a few marginal taxes to say the least. What are you going to do about tax policy in Connecticut? Well, look um i don't think
9: we'll ever be as cheap as florida when it comes to taxes because they can tax sunshine and tourism um but we have an an amazing education system uh, which is a big plus Uh, we've just reduced taxes for everybody earning up to about two hundred and fifty thousand. so we're the lowest in the region so we're making uh, real progress there we've eliminated the estate tax for everybody um, except for the very top five percent of people so I take that to account, but I also have to sell Connecticut on the attributes. And that's not just the lifestyle, that's not just the easy access to New York or Boston, great place to visit, wouldn't wanna live there, but also the quality <laughs> of our education system and our workforce.
5: How difficult, Governor, is it to really build up Connecticut at a time where they are, where you are losing population, when borrowing costs are where they are, where you don't have the leeway of borrowing to build so that they will come?
9: Well, look, let's face it. Uh, we were flat as a pancake for 30 years there. and You're absolutely right. We were losing population. A lot of the older folks were going down to Florida. Uh, that's turning around a bit. You know, um, during the COVID days, our schools were open. Um, I, uh, a lot of folks moved into the state. Uh, a lot of them came from New York, uh, to be blunt about it, and, and they stayed. So our schools were expanding. You know, the biggest shortfall I've got is housing. i got to make sure we have enough housing for people here.
5: There's a problem, though, with businesses. I mean, Frontier Communications was the latest going to, I believe, Dallas uh, from Norwalk, Connecticut. I mean, some businesses are looking for that tax advantage as well. It's not just older people in particular. I just am wondering how much you can really cater to the tax side of the equation when you can't plug the gap on the borrowing side simply because of where yields are.
9: Well, I can tell you that um, Frontier, which was nearly bankrupt did move their corporate headquarters but you know all the staff is still here but you know citadel and apollo and digital currency group and tomo all moved to the state we're taking sort of a, an older economy and they're uh, slowly moving into a newer economy so I, I like the trend there you're absolutely right look taxes is a variable new england northeast is uh, more expensive than um the sunbelt or as i call it the hot belt um but we're getting more competitive every day, and I think our workforce is a big advantage. Governor, do you have a migrant crisis? No, I wouldn't say it's a crisis, but I watch it carefully. Um, we've had a few thousand uh, migrants uh, come. Uh, we have a bit of a waiting list, but for us, a waiting list is uh, going from three weeks to three months. It's not uh, what it is in, um, you know, New York and um, and Texas. But we watch it carefully. Um, I, they've got to get to the border. That's just the deal. You're a sanctuary state, aren't you? Am I right? No, that's not true. But um, we do have a couple of cities that um, claim that. Uh, but this is not a sanctuary state. We do take care of people uh, in need when they come to the state. But uh, again, I think um, that said, we've got to get control of the border. What do you make of the attitude changes in places like New York?
3: where a year or so ago, they were welcoming migrants and people seeking asylum, and and now they seem to be turning their back on that. Now they actually have to confront what that looks like.
9: I think um, a moderator is a liberal who is mugged by reality. When uh, New York City has, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of new migrants you got to take care of, you got to shelter. Kathy Hochul's been very outspoken on this, as has Eric Adams, got to get these people if they're there. Uh, You're either going to be on welfare, they're going to have to be able to get a job. Um, It all circles back to the fact that you've got to control your border. So are we saying, Governor, that what we saw
3: for much of the last several years around this issue was purely just virtue signaling without a price, and that it's now been mugged by reality?
9: Well, let's face it. um, We've had a lot of migrants coming across the border, you know, going back to uh, Donald Trump and caravans of terrorists or whatever he said. Uh, but that said, um, we got to control that. Part of that is what you do at the border. Maybe you recognize Venezuela and do some things to mitigate the pressure for people wanting to come into the United States.
2: Ned, I'm I'm absolutely thr- thrilled to find how we're going to save banking in the Northeast. As you know, you had six football field platforms of UBS long ago and far away in Stamford. And that's sort of it's not that it didn't work out. It's just technology advanced forward with work from home with technology. How does Connecticut stay financial?
9: I think work from home, Tom, is um, a good trend for us in the sense that we used to have everybody commuting back and forth and um, into the city and down to Wall Street and the Long Hall. And then, as you point out, a lot of them wanted to be closer to a home, so they moved some of their headquarters out here. What we're finding is maybe you're in the city two, three days a week. Uh, Our Metro North trains on Friday are not crowded at all. In fact, they're virtually empty. We're going to cut down there a little bit just because people have a different lifestyle. And I think the fact that you can be closer to home out here in Connecticut uh, you don't have to do that. Commute five days a week is a, a big plus for the Connecticut lifestyle.
3: Governor, appreciate the update today. Let's do this again soon. Governor Nedham on there of Connecticut.
2: Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeart Radio app. Tune in and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg.
8: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash business gold card.
7: It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through.